Now it is time for us to hear from the Word of God. If you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, please turn to the book of Genesis and chapter 31. In the Black Puback Bibles, uh, we begin on page 30. Genesis 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying that Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that the band did not regard him with favour as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favour as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flocks were spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove them away, all his livestock, all his property they had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padam Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? 
And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? No, you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away, because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of your kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of the woman is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offence? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you for fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed, God saw my affliction and the labour of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children which, whom they have borne? Come now. Let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sabadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me. When we are out of one another's sight, if you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar 
which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of our father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the, f- in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. A lot to get through. <laughs> we can do it, though. When we face uncertain times, when we face unsettling times, when we face unnerving, uncertain, unsettling times, we need reassurance. We need reassurance. I wonder if you can cast your mind back to the time when you learned how to drive. I'm guessing you fall into one of two camps, perhaps. Maybe you were really nervous and cautious. You had absolutely no idea how to change gear. You had no idea how you were supposed to handle the car on the road. And you began your driving lessons feeling quite nervous. And so you had loads and loads of lessons, but that was enough to show you how to drive. You may have been, on the other hand, really, really and overconfident. And you thought to yourself, I can do this. I know what I'm doing. I just need to jump in the car. This is, this is a piece of cake. I only need a couple of lessons before my test. I'm going to be okay. Well, well, that was me when I learned how to drive. And so I got in with my driving instructor, and I sat down with him before we, before we started driving. And I said, uh, I, I, I kind of know what I'm doing here. I, I know how a car works. I mean... I've cut the grass on my dad's ride on lawnmower a few times, and I've only knocked over the bird bath once. So I think I know what I'm doing. And he said, well, we'll see what happens. And it was a rude awakening for me, because obviously I had no idea how to drive. I, I had to learn. I had to learn how to do the indicator or the blinker. I had to uh, learn how to navigate my car on the A14 or around town. I had to learn. So after loads and loads of lessons, it comes round to my test. And I'm feeling quite nervous. I'm quite unsure of myself. And I need reassurance. I need that reassurance. And so what I hope the driving instructor would say to me is, uh, James, you're going to be all right. Just do what we practice. You know how to do everything. Don't worry about it. If it doesn't go well, we can do this again. We'll see where you go wrong. Don't worry, James. It's going to be okay. But he didn't say that. He, he looked at me, and as he chucked his keys to me, because we were using the instructor's car, he said through his teeth with a smile, uh, James, don't scratch my car, mate. Don't scratch it. Oh, great. Thanks for filling me with confidence, driving instructor. It was in that moment I needed reassurance. Now, perhaps we can look across our lives at all of the different scenarios we have faced thus far, we're facing right now, and the situations and the hard things we are going to face. No doubt, there are going to be times in our lives when we need reassurance from the Lord. We need reassurance when it comes to sending our kids to school. We know how unnerving that can feel. But perhaps a tough conversation needs to be had at work, some meeting or some kind of deadline you just don't want to face. Perhaps there's a tense tense, uh, family situation, where there's a conversation or some reconciliation needs to happen, and you really just don't want to face it. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's illness, I don't know. But there are times in our lives where we cry out to the Lord, 
There are times in our lives where we need reassurance. Lord, are you still there? God, are you still with me? God, do you still have a plan for my life? God, are you still in this? Are you still orchestrating all of the goings-on in my life? God, God, are you with me? Lord, are you there? Lord, I need you. So often in our lives, we are in need of reassurance. Now, what we're going to see in this part in the life of Jacob is that Jacob gets exactly that. He's facing an uncertain, unsettling, unnerving time in his life. And the Lord comes in and says, Jacob, I've got some reassurance for you. Now, here's the thing. Let's get ourselves up to speed with this. Because Jacob has had a hard go of it so far. He's had conflict with his brother. There's been bad communication in the home. There's been dysfunctional family situations at every turn. It's been a hard go of it for Jacob. It's been tough. It's been unnerving. He's needed reassurance at just about every single turn. It hasn't been easy for him. Now, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that Jacob is now in kind of the the, the grasp or enslaved to his father-in-law, Laban. Now, remember what Laban is like. Laban is a, a manipulative character. He's, he's, a, he's a kind of guy who's out for himself. He's all about money. He's all about what he can gain. That's what Laban is like. And now Jacob finds himself enslaved to Laban. He's got to work for him for 14 years and then another six years. Now remember the story last week because this is going to be key. Last week, you remember, Jacob says to Laban, it's time for me to travel back to my home country. I've got to go back to the land of my fathers. I want to go home. But Laban is unwilling to let Jacob go. No, no. Can we we make another contract? So they make another contract. And it's a contract that normally would have seen Laban get rich and Jacob stick around for a long time. You remember how the contract goes. If you weren't here last week, let me give you the synopsis. They basically agreed, right, we've got these flocks of sheep and goats. If, if, if they're born um, without markings, they're going to be Laban's. If they're born with markings, they're going to be Jacob's. So Lake, uh, Laban is thinking, I'm going to get rich out of this. But somehow the Lord makes a way, and all of these sheep and goats are born within these flocks with markings. So that means that Jacob gets rich. Jacob now has enough startup capital. He's got enough resources to make the journey home back to his homeland. So he's got all this stuff. But people around him begin to get bitter. Laban's family look at this situation and say, hang on a second, our dad was rich, but now Jacob's rich and he wants to go home. So they're embittered, they're resentful. Look at the first couple of verses again. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Jacob is in a tough spot. He wants to get back to his homeland. But now he's got the family of Laban breathing down his neck, and he has to get out of there, but Laban is unwilling to let him go. He is stuck. But Jacob gets the reassurance he needs. Look at verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, to your kindred. Look at this, and I will be with you. 
Now, this is not the first time that Jacob has heard this reassuring thought. Turn back to chapter 28 and verse 15. You remember this, Jacob is in the wilderness, he's on his own, and the Lord speaks to him and says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So so this isn't the first time that Jacob hears these words from the Lord. It's not the first time the Lord has said to Jacob, I will be with you. But the Lord's already said to Jacob, look, I've got a plan for your life. I'm going to be with you. You can see that and you need reassurance, Jacob. So I'm going to give it to you. I will be with you. Jacob gets reminded. I don't know about you, but so many times in my life, I need reminding and need to be, I need to remember various different dates and times and things that people have said. I don't know what it is about me. Sometimes I can remember, I can remember someone's name. I can remember a place. I can remember a phone number for some reason, but if you ask me what I was doing next Saturday at three o'clock, I have no idea and I'll have forgotten it, even if you told me an hour ago. I need to, so that every now and again, me and my wife will have to sit down and Quincy will say to me, let's go over the calendar again, James. Let's look at this. Remember what we're doing this week. I have a habit of forgetting. Now, I don't think what's going on here is that Jacob is saying, oh, I, uh, oh, I forgot the Lord said that to me. I forgot the Lord said he was going to be with me. No, I don't think Jacob forgot that the Lord had said, I've got a promise for you and I'm going to see it through. What's going on here is that the Lord is saying, I have not left you. I've not hung you out to dry. I'm still present and I still have a plan and I've promised that I will see this through. So Jacob gets the reassurance that he needs. So it's time to leave. So what Jacob does is he takes his wives, Rachel and Leah, and he takes them to a place where they're out of earshot from Laban to have a discussion, i.e., it's time to go. Are you coming with me? Look at verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with the favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all of my strength, and yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. And and then Jacob goes on to recount what happened in that sheep and goat scenario and said, look, look what the Lord did. Look how the Lord made me prosperous. Look how the Lord gave me the startup capital we needed to go home. What do you say, wives? Are you coming with me? Verse 14, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion in, in, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded to him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away, our father, taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So the wife's response to Jacob is, we're like a foreigner to our dad. I.e., um, he treats us as though he doesn't know us. We might as well be speaking another language. We feel relationally a million miles away from our dad. So Jacob, whatever God is telling you to do, you need to do that. And what's God said? It's time to go back to your homeland. Now there's something really interesting going on in this conversation. And it surrounds the way in which the word father is used. Do you see how often the word father is? You can kind of just scan your eyes against that paragraph and you can see the word father popping up. 
The word Laban isn't used that often. It's your father, our father, that father Laban. So this word father keeps cropping up. And then, and then Jacob, he's, he's already talked about the land of his fathers. Interestingly as well, is the name for God that is used in this passage. Now, now follow me. Throughout the life of Jacob, as we've seen, predominantly there's two names for God being used. One is the name Yahweh. And the name Yahweh is the personal covenant, uh, kind of connotates compassion, nearness, intimacy of God. He's a covenant-keeping personal God. And then there's another name of God that's being used throughout this whole narrative, and that's the name Elohim. Elohim uh, brings the idea of a powerful creator. But what's interesting throughout this narrative, as the name Elohim is used, it seems to be tied to the Lord being a father or being the one who gives life. So when, when someone has, a, has, a, has a, one, of, one of Jacob's wives has a baby in the story, it's thanks to Elohim. So it's tied to this idea of God being a father. And in this conversation, what name is used? Elohim. So, so let's put that into this mix here. I think what's going on in this conversation is a contrast is being set up. Hey, Jacob and family, you've got the earthly father on this side called Laban. He has taken, tried to take everything from you. Laban has been about himself. He doesn't really care about you, and he doesn't care how much he hurts you. That's one father, Laban. Or you've got the heavenly father, and you've got a heavenly father who promises to protect you. You've got a heavenly father who promises to guide you. You've got a heavenly father who promises to be with you. You've got a heavenly father who's promised to protect his promise. That kind of a heavenly father. So a contrast seems to be at play in this conversation. You've either got Laban, that earthly father who really doesn't care, or you've got your heavenly father who couldn't care more about you. He's with you and he's got a plan. Look at that contrast. Well, that gives him the reassurance to carry on. So he has to up sticks and begin the journey home. Look at verse 17. So Jacob arose and set his sons and wives on camels and drove drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, and the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. The author is at pains to say everything that Jacob has, he's rightfully earned. But Jacob recognizes he can't have this clear communication, this conversation with Laban before he goes. So he goes without telling him. Look at verse verse 19. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. So Jacob goes without telling Laban. He waits till he's gone and then takes everything he has and he's off. Now, Rachel, Laban's daughter, takes a hold of Laban's household gods, steals them, and goes. We don't know exactly why she does that. Maybe she feels a sense of resentment for her dad. Maybe she wants to take away the thing he's put his hope in and he shouldn't have been putting his hope in that. We don't know exactly, but she takes them. And then it says right there that Jacob tricked Laban and fled without him knowing. Really interesting word. In my Bible, it might be there in yours. I've got a little number one next to the word tricked. And you can look down at the bottom. My Bible says in Hebrew, it's stole the heart of. 
Now, there's a lot of contention about the best way to translate that because it can mean tricked. It can also mean literally steal the heart of, so take something that somebody loves, or it can mean outwit. But whatever is going on right here, we know that Jacob is fearful of Laban and wants to get out of there as quick as possible. And he knows, I'm not going to have that clear conversation with Laban, so it's time to go. So Jacob's gone. Laban then finds out and seems to be livid. So he pursues him with his kinsmen. So with his, with, with, his, with his mates, with his family members, with his friends, they go to find Jacob and the rest of the family. But God comes to him in a dream and says, uh, Laban, no, you can't pass judgment on Jacob. Don't say anything good or bad. Don't touch him. You're not wise enough to pass judgment on Jacob. But then they end up meeting. And Laban begins to ask some questions. Look at this in verse 26. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you've tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs with tambourine and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly, and it is in my power to do you harm. And the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And so... Laban comes in and says, why did you go away? Why didn't you tell me? I would have sent you away with a farewell party. We we know he's lying in the presence of other people because Jacob has already said, six years ago I'm going. And what did he say? Well, let's make a new contract. Let's stay together. He said nothing about a farewell party. And then the next question he asks is, where are my household gods? So think about this. His family has left. Those who should be most dear to him have gone. And the first question he seems to say is, where's my household gods? Shows what he really cares about. So he goes searching. He searches through the tents and he's not finding anything. He goes to Rachel's tent and she's sitting on them and says, "Uh, sorry, Jacob, I'm on my time of the month. I can't get up. And Jacob's, uh, sorry, Laban's thinking, okay, okay, you, you stay there. So, so he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he, doesn't ask, he doesn't ask any more questions. I don't know where they are. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I need these household gods, but I can't find them. You can see the twisted thinking in Laban's mind. But Jacob has had enough. This is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And look at what we have right here. It's 36. Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through my, God, my goods. What have you found in all of your household goods? Set it before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, and that they may decide. Jacob goes on to say, Laban, can't you see how hard I work for you? I didn't put a foot wrong. You made the contract. We agreed to this kind of stuff. And the Lord blessed me. I didn't put a, I didn't put a step wrong. And yet you still want to trip me up. And he says right there, look, I worked in the hot sun. I worked in the cold of night. I worked when I was tired. And look what you're doing to me. And if it wasn't for the God of my fathers, then I would be in bad shape today. And he finishes off this rant right here. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. That was in the dream. So labor now feels like he's got himself pinned against a wall. He's in the presence of others. He can't manipulate any more. This is a tough spot for Laban. So maybe he's got to come clean. 
Maybe he's got to change his heart. Maybe he's got to show something of a change within him. And that does seem to happen. Look at verse 43. Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these daughters or for these children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jega Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me. When we are out of, out of one another's sight, if you oppress my daughters, if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is a witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and a pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over the heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The Lord God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father, judge between us. Jacob swore between the fear of his father Isaac, i.e. the God who made Isaac fear. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. And they ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Look at this, they part in peace. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. So what happens is we have this slight turning of the heart of Laban. His back is pressed against the wall. He's in the witness of others. What can I do? Let's make an agreement. So here's the agreement. Jacob, you look after my family. Don't hurt my my daughters. Don't hurt my grandkids. Secondly, don't cross beyond this point to do me harm. And I won't cross beyond this point to do you harm. There's the agreement. Interesting what they do once they agree it. They set up a pillar. And what do they eat? They eat bread. Turn back to chapter 28 again. You remember when Jacob's in the wilderness and God's made that promise. Look at verse 20 and 21. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again into the Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. So you see what happens right there. They sit down to eat Bread. It's interesting that the author seems to hone in on what they ate and provide that detail. I think what's going on is a reminder to what had been said earlier on. God will provide. God is still with me. So Jacob has his path forged. A way is made. God makes a way out of the slavery from Laban. And Jacob gets to see something. Jacob, you could have this father called Laban. He's a manipulator. He's going to hurt you. He's going to hurt others. Or... You've got this heavenly father, Jacob, who will care for you, who will keep you, who will guide you, who will always be present. And he's promised his plan in your life. And it will be okay, Jacob. Just hold on. This kind of a loving heavenly father is there. So Jacob gets reassurance. It's a reassurance that God protects his promises. It's a reassurance that says when God promises something, he will guide it to completion. 
You see, what Jacob sees right here is that he can trust in this God who says, I will be with you and I have a plan. And so this under pressure migrating family are given eyes to see that this God is a God in whom they can trust. This God is a God who promises presence. This God is a God who promises his plan. When they're in an uncertain, unnerving, unsettling place, they can find reassurance. They can find reassurance in a God who protects his promises. Now what about you and me? Where, where does, what does a story like this meet us today? Well, in just about the same place. We know what it's like to cry out in our lives. God, where are you? I don't know where you are. It's dark right now. I feel lonely. I feel a little bit confused. I feel a little bit lost. God, are you still here? And we know what it's like to cry in our lives. God, have you still got a plan? Because right now it doesn't seem like it. Right now it hurts quite a lot. Are you still in this? Are you still orchestrating, God? Are you still here? Is it going to be okay? And in those times, what do we need? We need reassurance from a good, a good heavenly father who says, I promised to be with you and I promised I had a plan. One day it is going to be okay. We know what it's like to cry out in that kind of unnerved, unsettling, uncertain times in our lives and say, God, are you still here? God, are you still with me? What's Jacob's answer? Yes, I'm with you. Yes, I have a plan. I'm a God who makes promises and I will protect those. The same answer is true for us. We serve a God who makes promises to us. A promise of presence, absolutely. And a promise of plan. Yep, I'm going to make all things right one day. And it doesn't always seem like I'm in control of your lives. It doesn't always seem like I'm orchestrating the goings on. But I am here. I don't know about you, but I love to hear that, that, that reassurance wash over my heart and mind this morning. When I was 16 years old, I went through one of, one of the darkest times in my entire life. I was on holiday with one of my friends and his family, and we'd, we'd gone to one of the islands in the Mediterranean. It was absolutely beautiful, and we had so much fun. But towards the end of the holiday, I con- contracted some kind of a stomach infection. I don't really know what it was, but in the afternoon, I was swimming around in the pool, and then suddenly I thought, I don't feel very well. I've got to lay down. Well, in just a few short hours, I'd gone to a place where I was where gone from swimming to a place where I was hallucinating and in and out of consciousness. So they they, they whisked me off to the doctor on the island and said, uh, "You've got to see this kid. Uh, something's really, really wrong." And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know where I was. And they whisked me off to hospital. And I eventually came round a few hours later, and I had like wires everywhere. You know, antibiotics going in, rehydration, painkillers. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't move. And I looked around. And the whole hospital ward was empty. There wasn't anyone else there. I could hear some people down the hallway speaking another language, and it was in the middle of the night. And I remember that, that time thinking, I didn't know it was possible to feel this bad physically and emotionally. I just burst into tears. You know, one of those deep, snotty kind of sobs, just like, oh, I want to go home. I don't like this here. I, I, I don't know what's going on. God, are you here? Are, are you present? I remember looking across the room and seeing the, a little table just next to my bed, and I could just about reach for a telephone. So I thought, I'd just call all the numbers that I can remember and see if anyone picks up. So I was ringing through the numbers. No one was picking up. It was an evening, so everyone was busy. 
I thought, oh, I remember. I remember our family friend's number, Neville. I'll call Neville up. I need to call him. So, so I called him, and then he was the first person to pick up. Hello? Hi, Neville. It's, it's James. Oh, hello, James. And in that moment, I couldn't get another word out. I just broke down into yet more snotty sobs in that ward on my own. But I remember in, in, in that dark time, in that lonely time, in that unnerving, unsettling time, what I needed was reassurance. What I needed was somebody just to say, hello, James. What I needed was to hear my name. Or somebody just to say to me, it'll be all right. Things are going to be okay. I needed that reassurance. Maybe you walked in here today needing that kind of reassurance. Maybe you are facing those times in your lives where you cry out, God, I, I just don't know if you're still here. Uh, do you still have a plan for me? Is it going to be okay? Well, here's the thing that Jacob didn't have. He was looking forward to Jesus. We look back to Jesus. And we see flesh on the bones of God's promise. And what do we see in Jesus Christ? We see a Savior who not only dies on the cross and rises again from the dead, but one who fills us with reassurance. One who says to his friends before he leaves, I'm going to a place, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back to you. And it's the same Savior who says, I'm going to send a Holy Spirit, a counselor, an advocate, a comforter, and I'm going to send him, he's going to be with you, and he is going to bring my presence. I will not leave you. Surely I will be with you until the end of the age. You see, we stand in very similar shoes to Jacob. Not the same ones, I know. But we receive that promise. I will not leave you. If we are in Christ, we can stand on that promise. We can have that reassurance. I won't leave you. And I do have a plan. Sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm with you, but I am. And my plan, sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm orchestrating this plan, but I am. And one day, things will be a whole lot better. One day, I will restore. One day, I will fully rescue, and things will be better. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need that reassurance. Sometimes I just need that voice. I'm still here. I still have a plan. And one day, things are going to be better. It's my, it's my job, but it's also my privilege to say to you this morning, we receive the same promise. The same promise of presence and plan. But God says, I'm with you. I'm with you by my Holy Spirit. And I have a plan. It doesn't always seem like it, but I do. And I'm orchestrating this out for your good. And one day, it's going to be better. One day, there'll be healing. One day, there'll be rescue. One day, there'll be redemption. We receive that promise too. We receive that reassurance. Hey, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to turn to the Lord's Supper together. So let's pray. Lord, there are countless times in our lives where we need reassurance, where we need you to speak. And Lord, you have done by your word to us, and you've reassured us of your presence, and you've reassured us of your plan. And we can trust like Jacob did, that you are a God who makes promises and you are a God who protects your promises. By your spirit, reassure us this morning in the same way you reassured Jacob. And we're asking it in Jesus' name. Amen.